You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. On this week's broadcast, we will share a few of those reflections with you. And so we'd encourage you to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living, opportunity for us to draw closer to God and to be instructed in the faith. And Archbishop Sheen did a masterful job of teaching the faith. And he actually received a great grace, of course, when he received the sacrament of holy orders. And uh, when he became bishop, you think of that uh, charism that a bishop has to be a good shepherd and to instruct the faithful. And he's done that so very well for all these years. So I'm going to share with you a classic recording back from 1943. And uh, Archbishop Sheen would uh, have, you know, uh, what I call a series of talks. And so he produced a booklet entitled The Crisis in Christendom. And he would share those reflections over, say, a 13-week period. And he talked a great deal about the family. And so I'm going to share one of his recordings that's entitled The Christian order and the family, and uh, there's going to be some great insights in that talk. And then during the second half of our program, we will participate in a retreat that Bishop Sheen gave a number of years ago, and we're going to listen to one of his talks entitled Praying the Our Father. And so, speaking of prayer, let us pray this morning. I love praying for intentions and uh, different graces, and I love praying to saints and uh, blesseds and venerable. So, we're going to pray to the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen for a favor. So, please join me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you alone grant us every blessing in heaven and on earth through the redemptive mission of your divine Son, Jesus Christ and by the working of the Holy Spirit. If it be according to your will, glorify your servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, by granting the favor I now request through his powerful intercession. And we make this prayer confidently through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray the Hail Mary together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. So let us just now sit back and relax and enjoy this reflection from 1943, entitled, 
the Christian order, and the family. Friends, the disintegration of the family in our national life is one of our major tragedies. Courtship takes place outside of the home, often in a crowded room with a low ceiling, amid suffocating smoke, whilst listening to a tom-tom orchestra glamoured by a girl who invariably cannot sing. The wife listens to radio serials with their moans, groans, and commercials where triangles are more common than in a geometry book. She reads magazine articles written by women who never stay at home, saying, a woman's place is in the home. The family Bible recording dates of birth and baptism is no longer existent because few read the Bible, few give birth, and few are ever baptized. One of the most evident symptoms of the breakdown of the family is divorce. The universalizing of easy divorce by the recent decision of the United States Supreme Court means that the institution of marriage is slowly degenerating into state-licensed free love. Polygamy and polyandra are recognized today on condition that husbands and wives, as the case may be, do not harness other husbands or wives together to the coach of their egotism, but that they hitch them up in tandem fashion or single file. If our courts continue to disrupt this natural unity of a nation, they will incapacitate us for international fellowship. For if we destroy this inner circle of loyalty through disloyalty, how shall we build up those larger international circles of loyalty from which world peace is derived? I sometimes wonder if it really does any good for a Christian to argue against the modern pagan who believes that divorce is legitimate and that marriage is a terminable pact of selfish fancy. Like two women arguing over back fences, we are arguing from different premises. The majority of people who are opposed to the stability and continuity of family life do not believe in the moral law of God. They believe that man is only an animal, or that morality is self-interest, or that if there is a God, he never intended that we should not do as we please. Now, once you start with these principles, then certainly divorce is right. Then certainly we should shirk sacrifices. If we are only beasts and love is sex, then there's no reason in the world why anyone should assume responsibility. But why not go all the way? By the same principle, anything is right if I can get away with it. If bonds between husband and wife are revocable at will and for the advantage of self-love, why should not the treaties between nations be revocable at the will of either party? 
if a husband may steal the wife of another man, why should not Germany steal Poland? If John Smith can break his treaty to take Mary Jones until death, who shall say that Italy is wrong in breaking its treaties with Ethiopia? Or that Japan is wrong in seizing Manchuria? If divorces from marital contracts, why not divorces from international contracts? If in domestic society, modern sneer at marital fidelity as bourgeois virtue, what right have they to ask that bourgeois virtue be recognized in world society? To those who spend life's treasures amidst the ruin of broken fidelities, there will one day come a haunting conscience. As John Davidson put it, your cruelest pain is when you think of all the honey treasure of your body spent and no new life to show. Though then you feel how people lift their hands against themselves and taste the bitterest of the punishment of those whom pleasure isolates. Sometimes when darkness, silence, and the sleeping world gives vision scope, you lie awake and see the pale, sad faces of the little ones who should have been your children as they press their cheeks against your windows, looking in with piteous wonder, homeless, famished babes, denied your wombs and bosoms. Now set in contrast to this pagan view of marriage, the seven principles of the Christian order in the family. First, marriage is one and unbreakable until death, both naturally and supernaturally. Naturally, because there are only two words in the vocabulary of love, you and always. You, because love is unique. Always, because love is eternal. Supernaturally, it is unbreakable. Because the union of husband and wife is modeled upon the union of Christ and his church, which endures through the agelessness of eternity. Second, the foundation of marriage is love, not sex. Sex is physiological and of the body. Love is spiritual and therefore of the will. Since the marriage contract is rooted not in the emotions but in the will, it follows that when the emotion ceases, the contract is not dissolvable. For the love of the will is not subject to the vicissitudes of passion. In any case, a lifetime is not too long for two people to become acquainted with each other. 
marriage should be a series of perpetual and successive revelations, the sounding of new depths, the manifestation of new mysteries. At one time, and at first, there is the revelation of the mystery of the other's incompleteness, which can be known but once, because capable of being completed but once. At another time, the mystery of the other's mind. And later on, the mystery of fatherhood and motherhood, which before never existed. And finally, the revelation of the mystery of being shepherds for little sheep, ushering them into the Christ who was the door of the sheepfold. And third, love by its nature is not exclusively mutual self-giving would end in exhaustion, consumed in its own useless fire. Rather, it is mutual self-giving which ends in self-recovery. As in heaven, the natural bond of father for son recovers itself in the Holy Ghost, who is the bond of unity. So, too, the natural mutual love of spouse for spouse recovers itself in the child, who is the incarnation of of their mutual self-giving. All love ends in an incarnation, even God's. Fourth, every child is a potential nobleman of the kingdom of God. And parents are to take that living stone from the quarry of humanity, cut and chisel it by loving discipline and sacrifice, mold it on the pattern of the Christ truth until it becomes a fit stone for the temple of God whose architect is love. To watch a garden grow from day to day, especially if one has planted the seed himself and cared for it, deepens the joy of living. But it is nothing compared to the joy of watching other eyes grow, conscious of another's image in their depths. And fifth, at a time when the first wild ecstasies begin to fade, when the husband might be tempted to believe that another woman is more beautiful than his wife, and the wife might be tempted to believe that another husband is more chivalrous than it is that God in his providence sends children. In each boy, the wife sees the husband reborn in all of his chivalry and strength. And in each girl, the husband sees the wife reborn in all her sweetness and joy and delicacy. The natural impulse of pride that comes with begetting. The new love that overblooms the memory of a mother's pain as she swings open the great portals of the flesh. And the joy of each linked creatures and the other's fruit are as so many beads in a rosary binding them together in an ineffable and unbreakable union of love. And sixth. If the bringing of children into the world is today an economic burden, 
It is not because God's law is wrong. It is because our social system is wrong. Therefore, the state should remove the causes of that burden. The human must not be limited nor controlled to fit the economic. But the economic must be expanded to fit the human. And seven, marital happiness is impossible without sacrifice. That is why on this Valentine's Day, we speak of arrows and darts of love. Something that wounds, that wounds our selfishness. But only religion can conquer selfishness, and that is why we have to pray. That is why I ask every Jew and Protestant and Catholic in the radio audience to make our daily holy hour of prayer and meditation that American family life may be restored. And in addition to making this hour, including Holy Communion, Catholics should also revive the old family custom of the rosary every night. Begin it tonight and keep the family together. Our little prayer books entitled The Shield of Faith to assist you in making these meditations are now ready. We'll send them to all who write for them free. Now such is the Christian position concerning marriage and one that outside of the church is very largely misunderstood. It's so often said, oh, they can marry again. They're not Catholics. Or we hear it said, the Catholic Church says divorce is wrong. No. 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 Divorce is not wrong because the church says it is wrong. Why does the church say it is wrong? Because Almighty God says it is wrong. There's not one God for Catholics and another for Hottentots. All who violate the natural law will be punished by God. A modern pagan is no more free to break God's law than a Catholic. Why is it that everyone practically outside of the church associates the objection to divorce with the Catholic Church? Simply because the Catholic Church today is about alone in defending the natural law of God. And if a time ever comes when the church alone defended the natural truth that two and two make four, the world would say, oh, that's a Catholic doctrine. I tell you that if the natural law continues to be defended almost alone by the church, a day will come when Catholics will have to be prepared to die for the truth that apples are green in the springtime and that it is wrong to poison mother-in-laws. Men and women of America, awake. Raise your altars to life and love while you have time. If you have not found the citadel of married happiness, it is because you have failed to lay siege to the outer walls of your own selfishness. 
The purpose of war is not the loot of the private soldier. Neither is the purpose of your marriage the loot of life. Like apostles, you have been sent out two by two, not that you may just eat and drink and buy and sell, but that you may enrich the kingdom of God with life and with love and not with death. The soil that takes the seed in the springtime is not unfaithful to its messiahship of harvest. And so neither must you play a recreant to the responsibilities of love. The fires of heaven which have been handed down to you as to an altar have been given not for your own burning, but that you may pass on the torch that other fires may climb back again to the heavens from which they came. If love were only a quest or a romance, it would be incomplete. On the other hand, if it were only a capture and an attainment, it would cease to rise. Only in heaven can these two ever be perfectly combined, that is to say, the joy of chase and the thrill of capture. For once having attained God, we will have captured something so infinitely beautiful that it will take an eternity of chase to sound its depths. But here on earth, God has given to you who are faithful in the sacrament a dim sharing in those joys wherein two hearts in their capture conspire against their mutual impotence and recover the thrill of chase in following their young down all the roads that lead to the kingdom of God. It was a family in the beginning that drew a world of wise men and shepherds and Jews and Gentiles to the secret of eternal peace. It will be through the family again that America will be reborn. When the day comes, when mothers will consider it their greatest glory to be sacristans of love's fruit, and when fathers will regard it as their noblest achievement to be the stewards of love's anointed ones, and when children realize that nature set no limit to the number of uncles a man might have, but that a man can have only one mother. When we realize this, then America will be great with the greatness of the founding fathers and the greatness of a nation blessed by God. God love You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and thank you for joining me for this edition of Your Life is Worth Living. That reflection you heard from 1943, uh, it's almost like he's speaking to us today. Now, he did make some mentions to the war and countries and different things like that, but I don't think anything's changed. Uh, We still have the same problems that he was speaking about back then happening today. 
And so it was very refreshing to have him kind of set the record straight. You know, he talks about a lot of the evils happening in the world, but he also talks about what we have to do to amend our lives and to draw close to God. And so these are words of warning, but also words of encouragement. And so I hope that you would re-listen to this program at your convenience. And you can find the rebroadcast on our Radio Maria website and also through my SoundCloud or MixCloud platform. Uh, these are places where you can see and listen to over five years of recordings. And so uh, just Google the Pipe Padre. I'm known by many as the gas man, uh, kind of in my professional life, but uh, they call me the pipe padre in the spiritual life because I get to get behind the microphone once in a while and share some beautiful uh, testimonies from people and, of course, these classic recordings from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. So just Google the pipe padre or just visit our website in a few days and we'll have this program reposted for you. And so now we're going to uh, go back to a retreat that Bishop Sheen started last week. He talked about the choice, and now he's going to follow it up with a reflection entitled, Praying the Our Father. And so I encourage you now to sit back and relax and enjoy the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. The gospel which you have just heard read is on the subject of prayer. And it is one in which the disciples came to our Lord and asked him, How should we pray? And in answer, he gave them the prayer, which we know so well, the Our Father. Now I'm going to describe the Our Father to you and explain it to you. Notice that our blessed Lord said, when you pray, say, Our Father. Our Lord did not say, My Father. It is interesting to go through the Gospels and note that never once did our Lord say of you and me and himself, Our Father. He said, I will ascend to my father and your father, never our father. Why? Because he's, he is God. He's the natural son of God. We're only the adopted children. And he makes that distinction. So he says to us, when you pray, you say, our father. Now, we do not get the full impact of this, but just put yourself in the mentality of the Jews who heard it. Remember that the name of God was so sacred to the Jews that there was one name for him they would never pronounce. It was too sacred. And even in the Old Testament, we find only two or three instances in which God is called Father, and then there's always another word to modify it. They were so very careful to glorify the Heavenly Father. Now, when we come, however, to our blessed Lord, see the familiarity with which he talks about his Father. He said, my Father's working until now, and I work. The night of the Last Supper, when Philip said, show us the Father. 
Our Lord said, Philip, Philip, have I been with you all this time? And still you do not understand? The Father and I are one. So the Jews, therefore, stood at a great distance from the name of God. Now, our blessed Lord used a word which we use only when we're children. When our blessed Lord spoke to his heavenly Father, he used very often, and probably throughout the entire gospel, but we know on certain occasions, he used the word Abba, A-B-B-A. It is not a good Aramaic word. And our Lord spoke Aramaic. What is Abba for father? Is it just father in the abstract sense of the word? No. Children have a pet name for their father. It might, for example, at the very beginning of a child's life, be Dada. Now that's what Abba means. It was the child's name for the father. So contrast on one side, the fear of the Jews of ever pronouncing the name of God, and then our blessed Lord coming to earth and calling him Abba. That's why they picked up stones on three occasions to, to kill him. And he said, why do you do this? And they said, because you made yourself one with the father. Sure, his nature was one with the Father. And so important is this word, Abba, that when St. Paul began preaching the gospel of our Lord to the Greeks, when he wrote, he wrote in Greek. He took the Aramaic word Abba and kept it in the Greek. So that in two of his letters, one of them uh, in the Romans and the other to the Galatians, he tells his people, remember that your father is Abba, that he has given you the spirit of adoption to be his children. So this is the beginning of the Our Father, Our Father, then who art in heaven. We start above. We can never lift ourselves by the lobes of our ears. We live in a horizontal world where we believe we help one another, but the real help that makes us new creatures and children of God has to come from above. Hence, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That means, may it be sanctified, may it be glorified, and may you be worshipped. Now, what is worship? For example, we think, well, why does God demand our worship? Is he sitting up there in a golden throne, waiting for us as obedient servants of him to prostrate ourselves before him in worship? Is that the meaning of worship? No. Now, when, how often, for example, a little girl in the springtime 
girl about three or four will go out into the garden, into the yard, and pick up dandelions and bring dandelions into the mother. Now let me tell you that those dandelions are a bore to the mother. She wouldn't admit it. She doesn't need the dandelions. But has any mother in the world, when she's taken these dandelions, ever thrown them out into the garbage? No, she said, oh, how nice of you, dear, you love me, don't you? And so the mother accepts that worship in order to train the daughter to be loving. Now that's what worship is. In the theater, for example, we applaud. Applaud means worthful. That's worship. Now we go Sunday, I gave a retreat to about 1,200 actors and actresses in New York at the Majestic Theater. The retreat lasted all day. And about six or seven times during the day, I would come out and, and talk to all of these people who were so trained in the theater. Well, unlike other audiences, on the stage, they appreciate applause. They live by applause. So they think that anyone who appears on the stage must live by it, too. So very often in the course of a talk, they would interrupt what I was saying by applause. Why? Because it was a manifestation of worthfulness. That's what worship is. God doesn't need it. We need it. So hallowed be thy name. Now thus far our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These two phrases go together. Now we priests who are used to reading the Psalms and the scriptures have always noticed in the scriptures the balance of phrase. For example, in the Psalms you'll find a sentence, Thy statutes, O Lord, are good. Then the other half, Thy commandments are wise. In the second half, we say the same idea as we do in the first, but we just put it in different words. So in the Our Father, these two phrases, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, mean practically the same. How do we get into the kingdom of God? By doing his will. Now, many are going to get into the kingdom of God because they're doing his will according to their lights. But suppose we do not do his will. My finger pointed vertically signifies the will of God because it points to heaven. My finger horizontally represents my will because it's earthy and flat. Suppose I take my will and put it across God's will. When I do that, I get physically across. Psychologically, I get a complex. That's how we get mixed up. 
Now, I hope I have a pencil here. I'll use that as an illustration, too. Here is a pencil. Is this pencil good? Yes, it's good pencil. Why? Because it writes. That's the way you know when anything is good, if it fulfills the purpose for which it is made. When, therefore, I want this pencil to write God, it writes the word God. Suppose this pencil had a will of its own. And suppose when I wanted to write the word God, it wrote the word dog. I couldn't do anything with it. That is why when we fail to live up to God's law, he can't use us. As I couldn't use this pencil. We lack his power. And the more effective any person is in the church and in the world depends upon his relatedness to being under the hand of God so that he can use us as instruments. Or to give you another example, suppose I try to open a tomato can with this pencil. Now I do my own cooking, so I'm used to opening cans, but not with pencils. And I'm a terrible cook. Betty Crocker one day saw me cooking through a brick through the window. Suppose now I tried, I tried to open a tomato can with this pencil. One, I wouldn't open the can. And two, I would ruin the pencil. So when we try, try to achieve happiness, in some other way than a God-appointed way, supposed by drugs or alcohol or vice, anything of that kind. We think we're going to get a lot of pleasure out of it, but actually we never get the pleasure we intended and we hurt ourselves. Thus the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, means that we enter into the kingdom of God by doing his will, and that makes us happy. This is the secret of peace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice that the petitions of the Our Father have a division in the middle. The first three petitions refer to the heavenly, to God. Then we get this middle one. We can't live without bread. So we appeal to God for our daily subsistence. Give us this day our daily bread. But it could also mean, and there is a suggestion of it in the original in the gospel, give us this day our super substantial bread, namely the Eucharist. So very often the apostles misunderstood our blessed Lord when he spoke of bread. When they were crossing the lake in the storm, they became frightened, and our blessed in the gospel gives the explanation. They did not take account of the mystery of the bread 
of the miracle of the bread when our blessed Lord multiplied the loaves and fishes in order to remind them that he had power to give us the bread of life. So the giving us, give us this day our daily bread, therefore, means not only that which is necessary for daily life, but in an applied sense also the Eucharist. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is reciprocal. We are forgiven by God as we forgive our neighbor. Our Lord mentioned that in the continuation of the gospel. Forgive and you will be forgiven. If we, however, hold grudges, we shut off the forgiveness of God. He cannot give it to us. Now, this forgiveness of God sometimes will require great effort on our part. I have a friends, I have friends, husband and wife, who suffered a great deal in prison. But before they were in prison under the communists, the husband was visited by the Nazi, by a Nazi. The husband and wife were Jew, born Jew, but then Lutheran. And the husband said to the Nazi, what have you been doing the last two weeks? He said, killing Jews. How many did you kill? Oh, he said, about 30,000 in two weeks. Were you in this particular village? Yes. How many Jews did you kill there? Oh, he said, I killed every Jew in that town. Do you ever ask God for forgiveness? No, I don't believe there's any such thing as forgiveness. And the husband said, let us see. My wife, Sabina, is upstairs asleep. She has not heard this conversation. I shall call her down. He said, Sabina, this is the man who killed your father, your mother, your three brothers, and two sisters. Sabina looked at him intently and then threw her arms around his neck and kissed him and said, as God forgives you, I forgive you. And the Nazi threw himself on his knees and begged forgiveness. So forgiveness is reciprocal. And lead us not into temptation. That means trial. Do not bring us into any trial that will be too great for us. First of all, we have trials. Remember that our blessed Lord said, in this world you will have tribulation. This life is not supposed to be easy. We're working out something. Life is a combat, a warfare. So we're asking God, please, do not put me into any war that may be too great for me. 
lest I fall or be wounded. But deliver us from evil. Actually, it is not the proper ending, is not deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the devil. Deliver us from Satan. And there is a devil. Then at the end we say, Amen. Amen means, I've said it. May I live up to it. May it be fulfilled in me. You never heard our blessed Lord say at the end of a prayer, Amen. We put the Amen in there. Our Lord did not. Unless it was meant for us to say it, as he actually did say. Our Lord always began his sentences when he wished to emphasize something with, Amen, Amen, I say to you. In other words, I give you the truth. Amen, amen. We put the amen at the very end. Now this is the Our Father that we say so often. We will say it during the Mass. And now I hope that it will have new meaning for you. And how do we know now that the Heavenly Father is so good? Well, we know it because our Lord has told us. You know, it almost seems as if the three persons of the Blessed Trinity are playing hide-and-seek. We never knew the Father well until the Son came and told us. Then we knew the Father was full of love and mercy. How do we know our Lord? If our Lord reveals the Father, who reveals our Lord? The Holy Spirit. So our Lord said, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will reveal me, who will make me clear to you. This is the purpose of the Spirit. Not odd manifestations. Any spirit that does not come to deepen this love of our blessed Lord and become truly his spirit is not the spirit of Christ. I suppose I could sum up the Our Father by telling you never to be discouraged. You have a heavenly Father and now this morning you have learned some Aramaic and it would be well, occasionally, to think of yourselves as little children. Because remember, only no old people are ever going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's right. Our Lord said, unless you become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have to become young. And if you think yourself young, you will begin calling the heavenly Father in your mind and soul, Abba, 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 who art in heaven. 
darlar. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this hour of reflection with the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. 
uh, Jack Ivanko sang that beautiful rendition of the Lord's Prayer. And I think all of you would agree it, it was very appropriate for her to kind of finish our program today after that excellent teaching from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen on the Lord's Prayer. And of course, that beautiful teaching on the Christian order and the family was also very powerful. And so I would encourage you to re-listen to this program uh, by visiting our website, Radio Maria, and uh, we would ask you to continue to pray for us and to help us financially. Uh, We rely on divine providence, and so we need your assistance with that. And, you know, I'd love to pray and, uh, you know, begin our program by praying the prayer for a favor of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. But I know he would ask a favor of us to pray for his canonization. And so I would ask you to join me as we pray that special prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, source of all holiness, you raise up within the church in every age men and women who serve with heroic love and dedication. You have blessed your church through the life and ministry of your faithful servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He has written and spoken well of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and was a true instrument of the Holy Spirit in touching the hearts of countless people. If it be according to your will, for the honor and glory of the Most Holy Trinity, and for the salvation of souls, we ask you to move the church to proclaim him a saint. And we ask this prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And may the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen pray for us. Now I want to thank our good friends at FultonSheen.com for providing these quality recordings for us to use today on this broadcast. You can visit their website at www.fultonsheen.com and there are well over 200 audio recordings there of Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's teachings over a 50-year period. They can be purchased for literally pennies per recording and so I would encourage you to support them. Now I would also ask you to support us here at Radio Maria Canada. Uh, We will be entering in our fundraising marathon uh, towards the end of the month, but there is always the opportunity to donate early. Uh, Like my mother would say, beat the rush. Uh, Now, we have our web address, of course, which is simply www.radiomaria.ca, and there at that website, there will be a donate button that you could uh, give uh, generously to. And so, and I encourage you to listen to our full lineup. There's this hour, I like to call it the hour of power with Bishop Sheen, in reference to the holy hour that he promoted for many, many years, uh, but so many other beautiful programs. And so you continue to pray for us, we'll continue to pray for you, and together we can make a little bit of heaven on earth. And so until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.